welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode, usually only available to members. These episodes are comprised of our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, all getting together for a roundtable discussion on topics that we find interesting. So here's a few minutes for free so you can know what all the fuss is about. The motivation for editing books in this case is to make it more palatable to a broader audience to make more money. Banning books is to keep new ideas, better ideas from entering the curriculum of the elementary schools. And this particular author, especially like it's, it's really interesting that we're having this discussion when Charlie and the chocolate factory, the Oompa Loompas originally were slaves. They were Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the original text and he changed that because Times changed. He realized, oh, you know, maybe that's offensive, I guess. I mean, in separating art from the author, he's an asshole. He's an anti-Semite. He's, like, proven to be a bad person. The books, in one of the articles said, part of the book's charm is that they're mean. Well, yeah. maybe we don't find that charming anymore. Maybe society can advance past that. I know that I watched yeah. Tom murder Jerry or whichever one is which over and over (laughs) again when I was a kid. And that was probably not the best thing to watch when I was a child. And now like the, the Looney Tunes aren't particularly popular or relevant to culture today. And maybe they shouldn't be, maybe we shouldn't keep trying to bring these things forward. Maybe we shouldn't try to edit them. Maybe we should just let them be where they were and move past them. Exactly. And we're going to kind of talk about this with the AI conversation, but I feel like it's also the like hyper focusing on the wrong things, like people looking at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and like, oh, it's this story that's fun because it's at a candy factory. And you like (laughs) romanticize all the positive things without just like, it's a horrible, horrible book. It's a horror story. And like shows the horrors of capitalism. And then, you know... I I think that was my takeaway from the articles and I'm going to go back to what I know. So apologies. We're going back to Harry Potter, but (laughs) (laughs) it's like even editing these and making them more inclusive doesn't change the, like the baseline of the story. So Harry Potter, you can update it to like make Hermione a black character. You could update it Mm -hmm. to not make the only Asian character, a very stereotypical name and a very stereotypical, like negative stereotype of what an Asian is, right? You could change all of those things. And it's still a book where the main character is neglected. There's child abuse in it. There's like on several different levels from his family and also from a teacher at the school. There's a fascist person who is chasing down this child. Like it is a horrible (laughs) story. So you can make it more inclusive and like put some diversity in it and change a little bit of the language. But at the end of the, like, the plot itself is the problem, not the inclusiveness of it. Like, that's just a micro of the overall. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting idea. I mean, and I I can, like, totally resonate with what you both are saying. But I, I also do, I don't know where this puts me on the spectrum, but I also, like, do find fiction and literature to be, like, it has to be somewhat reflective of reality, right? So it has to have some, like awful people and some like terrible situations and some uncomfortable stuff going on. Right. And I think that's okay, but I think that it is changing, like how we're doing that is changing. Right. So Mm -hmm. 
the biggest trend lately is like not having villains be so just like one dimensional and like giving people more context for why people are the way they are and why they're, why bullies are the way they are. And, you know, origin stories of, of the characters you don't like in books to give you a little bit more sympathy, a little more, more empathy and understanding. But I think that as that starts to change and as that starts to shift, like, yeah, the question is, what do we do with all this art and stuff that is still technically in existence? My, my concern about like, I I fall on the side of, I don't actually think editing the language is terrible, but I don't actually think it's great. I think that what pen America, which is the organization that like fights for or resists oppression and censorship of authors and books around the world like their take was we can put context around these old stories if they're worth still being in the public square and they're worth like still hanging on to then we can give them context right we can add an intro that gives some sort of picture of what life was like at the time when this was written they can be taught in schools which is usually what happens to complicated texts that are still like worth exploring but are really outdated and old i mean huck finn is a huge huge example of that and so i definitely fall more on that side of things that we can we can put these things in context i think assuming that all parents are going to contextualize books for their children and like that that's just going to happen that's bonkers (laughs) but giving like actually adding pages in a book to give it context and and give it meaning like i think would make sense my concern about the editing is also that i don't want to whitewash bigoted authors like i don't want to make roll doll who wasn't a great person and who had did like wrote a lot of really messed up stuff look way better than he actually was i think that being honest about who he was and the fact that this guy who was an anti-semite was a hugely successful like commercially successful author in his own time is something worth learning from to some degree so how we do that is the question and dion sent over this quote that you know came from uh roldal himself i think that that shows that this sort of pushback can be educational even for the authors. So Dahl said, I created a group of little fantasy creatures. I saw them as charming creatures, whereas the white kids in the books were most unpleasant. It didn't occur to me that my depiction of the Oompa Loompas was racist, but it did occur to the NAACP and others. After listening to the criticisms, I found myself sympathizing with them, which is why I revised the book. I think that is important to bring up that more information actually does help people understand these situations. You know, that it's, it's not like the author had every thought on the topic you could have and then decided extremely thoughtfully to portray an African pygmy tribe in his book. You know, people create a lot of art that, is either in its own time or later sort of discovered to be offensive or denigrating or harmful out of ignorance. And so having a discussion about updating things is, I mean, I I don't really think that it's horribly offensive to the authors and, and, and the purity of their original vision. I mean, one of the article writers we read said, 
look, if, if people are talking about editing your books after you're dead, you should be so lucky that <laughs> your work is deemed mm-hmm. to be good enough to consider editing as opposed to just throwing it on the pile because that's yeah. what happens to most authors. Actually, this is a good time to um, bring up this article that we read from the Toronto Star, an opinion piece by Shri Paradkar. And she says, and I think this is this is very, uh, very accurate. On one hand, a British author's beloved works are being edited to avoid reinforcing discrimination by race, gender, or range of physical attributes. They're not being tarnished, but saved for a future generation. I think that that phrasing is actually really important, that editing these books means that we're trying to keep them alive. Now, you can argue over which books should get that special treatment and which books should not. But if you just left things as they are, I do think that certain works just fade away, right? I mean, my God, the amount of stuff that has been written and published over the last hundreds of years, we don't, not all of it makes it, right? Not all of it stays with us. And a lot of stuff that even all of us have read when we were just kids in the 80s and 90s, like, we look back on it and be like, oh, shit, (laughs) we don't really need to do that to our kids. Like, you know, that's not, that's not helpful. So things do naturally get filtered out. And what we kind of like collectively deem still worthwhile, most likely all of it is going to have to be contextualized or tweaked to some degree because times change, right? Like things, things evolve. And so, you know, bringing this back to the rights insistence on banning books they don't like my my biggest concern about the editing and i i know many people have said this not you know this isn't new it's just that the argument against the editing of the books is that it opens the door to fascist control of the written word if things were on in the other going in the other direction and like publishing houses were run by conservatives or the government takes over publishing houses or you know controls the written word then what are we opening the door to? Like, oh, well, we're just doing what the, you know, liberal leadership at the publishing houses did before. What's the problem? We're just, we're, I think the word is, I'm going to say it wrong, boulderize, uh, which apparently comes from a guy in the 19th century who tried to rewrite Shakespeare and edit it to be more family friendly. (laughs) And that's, uh, people are overusing that word right now, because this certainly is not what that guy did to Shakespeare, but it's, you know, it's mildly close. So we're going to keep having this conversation. And I think what's amazing is this has already been going on forever. And we're just talking about it now because it's like a tiny little example of the right wing fervor to call out wokeness wherever they possibly can. And that's the only reason we're really talking about it. This has been happening forever. It will happen forever. Private companies can do what they want with the <laughs> with the books that they've purchased. Like that's the reality, and that's the capitalist reality of it all. Yeah, and and that that's why the debate over censorship is the wrong debate. You know, the the concern that well, if we edit these books, then the fascists will have an excuse to edit books as though they wouldn't have done that anyway. (laughs) Like, as if liberals didn't ever edit any books, and then the fascists come into power, they'd be like, well, I guess we can't edit books, because, you know, that would be inconsistent of us. Like, that is a ridiculous idea. The more important conversation is about 
values. Like, what are the values behind why we want to change what is taught about American history? What are the values behind why we want to edit books? Like, as was emphasized by the the article writer that Amanda was just quoting from, thoughtful edits. <laughs> she was like, emphasis on thoughtful. If you edit it poorly, well, that's not good. If if you edit in a way that's not in line with progressive values, then yeah, we're going to be opposed to that, of course. And that is so much more important of a debate to nail down is what are our values? What are we actually trying to accomplish? Because clearly in this period of time when practically every conversation can be turned on its head in a bizarro world fashion and liberals who want to teach a broader spectrum of American history are called revisionist fascists and the same people who then want to make relatively tiny edits to books just so members of already oppressed communities don't feel even further beaten down when they escape into a book. Like the idea that hypocrisy is at the core of what's going on or that conservatives want to ban books and also defend tooth and nail the freedom of authors to say exactly what they want. Like the hypocrisy is beside the point and confuses the issue. What is absolutely clear is the consistency of what they're doing. The consistency is the bigotry. The consistency is the desire to take care of the feelings of those who are already in power and disregard the feelings of those who aren't. That's what's consistent. Same with the left. I mean, whether this is really appropriate to be divided left and right or not, but generally speaking, the left is also consistent. We are also looking to have a better understanding of history so that everyone can have that understanding and that those who have had their histories completely erased, we can begin to repair that. And those with disabilities or facial differences or issues with weight that they feel bad about and all of those things get that get brought up in Roald Dahl books that they were changing with these edits, the whole point is to just make like try to allow people to not feel totally shitty about themselves. And that is super consistent. So like hypocrisy, as I say, it's beside the point because both sides are actually being pretty consistent. But I think that the left is pretty consistently good and the right is pretty consistently horrific. Jay, we, we couldn't hear you. That last thing you said. No, I said a lot of things that all basically said that the left is good and the right is bad. (laughs) Uh, But the hypocrisy is not the issue. It looks like hypocrisy. If you only look at censorship, it doesn't look like hypocrisy. If you look at values. Yeah. And I like the conversation about values and this kind of hits on something that Amanda said, which was just talking about how, fiction writing should have doses of reality. So one of my favorite interviews, and there's a not a perfect example of this, but the show Schitt's Creek, 
when they were interviewing the writers and talking about it, they were very purposeful with not putting homophobia into the show, Mm -hmm. even though it depicts like a rural area where you assume there would be. But part of their reasoning was writing a world we want to live in, not the world that we live in. That's it for today's free sample. There's lots more of that particular episode. There's also a brand new episode just out that you haven't heard, as well as there being dozens of past bonus episodes that you get access to in your feed the minute you sign up as a new member. (laughs) Pain members are who make this entire show possible, and so these bonus episodes are a fun way to say thanks to them for their support. In addition to those full bonus episodes, members also get bonus clips in every single regular episode, as well as there being no ads in the regular show. If you would like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestoftheleft.com slash support. You can use our Patreon page, or you can do it from right inside the Apple Podcast app, and links to get there are right in our show notes. And if you can't afford membership, I offer free financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email to j at bestoftheleft.com, and we will get you set up, no questions asked. Or, again, to sign up and support the show and our ability to give away free financial hardship memberships, visit us at bestofleft.com support. Thanks for listening.